Our New Testament scripture reading is from Acts chapter 23, Lord's Day. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part rose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than forty which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore, ye with the council, signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him, and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with, with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night. And provide them beasts, that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias, under the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. 
This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. <clears throat> then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatrius. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle, who, when they came to Caesarea, and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, and thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Thus far the reading of God's word this Lord's day. May the Lord bless the reading of this word and the preaching of it as well. If you have your Bibles and you would like to turn with me to our text for this Lord's Day, you may turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Where we read these words, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. When we are given information about others, we are bound by the ninth commandment, which says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, to perform two primary duties. First, to believe only that which can be shown to be true by convincing testimony. And secondly, to protect the reputation of our neighbor. In other words, until accusations can be proven to us from credible witnesses, we should be as unwilling to believe the reports we hear about others as we would have others to believe the reports that they may hear about us, or perhaps disbelieve the reports they may hear about us. It seems so often that gossip is the acceptable sin countenanced among Christians. Murder, immorality, stealing, and lying may be wholeheartedly condemned within the Christian community, but to lesser or greater degrees, gossip among close friends or family members becomes almost a test of loyalty, a test of friendship. You're just not a very close friend if you do not gossip with one another about others, about their faults, about their weaknesses, about the sins of others. And in so doing, beloved, we have violated time and time again one of the two great commandments that the Lord gave unto us. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. From our text, in Proverbs 11:13, we learn the following two truths. First of all, the one who gossips cannot be trusted. Proverbs 11:13a. And secondly, the one who is faithful proves himself to be trustworthy. In Proverbs 11:13b. Let us consider then the first of these truths: the one who gossips cannot be trusted. Again, I read for you the first part of verse 13. Proverbs 11, 13. First part of that says, A tell-bearer revealeth secrets. Solomon quite literally declares, He who walks about as a slanderer uncovers secret counsel. The word used here for a talebearer comes from a root, recall in the Hebrew language, that refers to a merchant who markets by buying or selling his merchandise. 
So here's the talebearer going about merchandising this information, going about buying information and then selling it, as it were, to others. In this case, the trade of the gossip is to uncover juicy information about others and then to sell that information to others. How, you may ask, is the information about others sold? Well, it's not sold for money necessarily, but it's sold for friendship. It's sold for perhaps even more information about others. I share this information with you. What are you going to tell me? Though it may not be explicitly stated, dear ones, in so many words, the bargain is, I'll sell you what I know about so-and-so to prove how close we really are. Or I'll sell it to you for information you might know about so-and-so. And of course, there's usually some qualification made at the outset, which is supposed to imply how this is not really gossip and is not to be told to anyone else. Words to the effect, I heard this from a very reliable source. And whatsoever you do, don't spread this information to anybody else. And so the tellbearer ensnares others by making them feel very special, almost privileged to get this information about someone else, that they would be so entrusted with this report about another person. What is so hypocritical about all such gossip is that very often the talebearer binds the recipient to a confidentiality that he or she is not willing to keep himself or herself. I can share this information about others with you, but you cannot share it with anyone else. What a double standard. What hypocrisy. Well, in order to avoid uh, this the sin of gossip, being a talebearer. We need to know what it is and what it is not. So first of all, what is gossip? <clears throat> Several things that gossip is. First of all, gossip is spreading an evil report about our neighbor. Behind his back, not out of love for him, but out of other passions, like in envy, like resentment, or malice, or hatred, or maybe out of an air of superiority over him, believing oneself to be better than another. For example, our neighbor who may be a family member, a friend, a fellow Christian, or even a foe. Our neighbor may be more gifted than we are in certain areas. And so we cut them down to size by revealing their weaknesses rather than rejoicing in their strengths. We cut them down to others behind their back. Or we perhaps have been treated very ungraciously or even maliciously by our neighbors. So we avenge ourselves by uncovering his or her dirty laundry and then tell it to others. Or we are puffed up with pride looking at our gifts and our graces and our abilities as that which we have... <coughs> one for ourselves by our own strength and then put others down because they have not attained to our level of achievement. You see, this is an aspect of gossip. Something else gossip is. Gossip is also digging for the dirt on others, like some investigative reporter, in order to make ourselves look informed or important when we divulge the gory details we have uncovered to others. As we said before, gossip has in view usually making ourselves look good, exalting ourselves, boasting in ourselves when we put others down. 
another characteristic of gossip. Gossip is at times committed even unintentionally when certain information just slips, as it were, from our mouths to those who have no reason to know this information about others. So it can be committed intentionally. It can be committed unwittingly or even unintentionally. However, at such times, we're still responsible out of love to go to those that we have shared this information with and try the best we can to halt it, to see that it stops there, to confess our sin, to seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness of God as well, to repent and endeavor new obedience. And if that information does eventually reach the person we've spoken against, then we need to go to that person as well. I would encourage you not to go to them if we, any of us have been guilty of the sin to prematurely go to them because we may be divulging information that doesn't need to come into their ears. To wait until it actually does come to their ears till we actually know that they have the knowledge that we did say these things. And then to repent to seek their forgiveness and God's forgiveness as well. And so, this sin can be committed ignorantly, unwittingly, unintentionally, but still the effect of it can continue on to hurt and to devastate other people for which we need to repent. Another characteristic aspect of gossip. You may participate in gossip not only by spreading an evil report about others behind their back but also in receiving an evil report about others. We partake, dear ones, in the sins of others when by our silence we do not seek to stop the evil report that is given to us. If we do not rob a bank but knowingly receive the money from a thief who did rob the bank, are we not a partaker in that crime? So likewise, when we receive stolen information about others, we're a partaker in that crime and in that sin. When we are about to receive some information <clears throat> or some report about another, ask the one who is giving you the information a few questions. Hopefully, before they get into the actual report they're going to give to you about somebody else. Ask them, do I need to know this information? Is it necessary that I know this information? Ask them, will it be helpful to me or to others, especially the subject of this report, to know this information? Ask them, will you keep people's names out of it if at all possible? In other words, as we will see in a moment, there may be a legitimate reason that someone may bring to you certain information, may be seeking sincerely advice and counsel as to handle how to handle some situation. But you can counsel them. Can you leave people's names out of this and simply give to me a hypothetical situation so that I can give you principles without people's names involved so that it, no one is incriminated. So I do not learn information about particular individuals which is of an evil report of some kind and thereby their reputation be damaged and draw me into it for I become a partaker of that particular sin. Ask the person this question. Can love cover the sins and weaknesses which you're about to share with me? You might try to change the topic to something more edifying if the individual persists. You may simply have to tell them, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be a party to it. 
Dear ones, you may not become popular with the talebearer and the gossip, but you will be glorifying the Lord and loving your neighbor as yourself. For if the gossip will give you information about someone else, what is to keep him or her, the one who is the gossip, the one who is the talebearer, what is to keep him or her from sharing your sins, your weaknesses, your frailties, spreading an evil report about you to others? Dear ones, you cannot trust, ultimately, you cannot trust a gossip and a talebearer. Whether it's us, ourselves, we cannot be trusted if that's the case in our lives. And we cannot trust others who do so. Because what they do to others, they will do to us as well. If you silently partake in this sin by receiving such reports, you will likely, eventually, be burned yourself by this same talebearer. Thus be careful in what you receive from others and in what you share with others and with whom you share it. Another important distinction with regard to gossip. Gossip may either be an outright lie a misrepresentation or distortion of certain details of the truth. Or it may actually be a truthful, factual representation of the truth. Gossip is not limited to that which is untruthful, which is a lie. Gossip can be spread even if it is the truth. Just because we get all of our facts straight and what we share with others does not necessarily acquit us of the devastating sin of gossip. For gossip or tale-bearing does not so much have to do with the specific nature of the information shared as to whether it is true or not, but more with the motive reason and consequences involved in making merchandise of information that will likely hurt, damage, or perhaps even destroy another person's reputation. Here is your checklist to consult before opening your mouth to others. First of all, is your motive in opening your mouth with that report about your neighbor, a sincere love to God and an earnest desire to be faithful to God. We're going to look at motive, reason, and consequences. First of all, is your motive right to please God, to be faithful to God? Or is the motive of your heart rather envy and discontentment with your own lot in life? A self-righteousness and superiority to exalt yourself and put others down? Or contempt and vengeance against your neighbor for sin that he has committed against you. The first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Furthermore, Paul teaches us that above all things we are to seek God's glory in everything that we do. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So, is your motive right when you share whatever information about another with someone else? Is your motive right? Second, is the reason you have divulged this information because God requires you to do so in His law? In other words, was it easy for you to share this information with others? Or did it almost have to be pulled out of you because you knew to hide it would be to sin against God and the principles that are found in His Word? Have you followed the biblical principles found in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17? And to summarize those principles, 
into one brief statement. Keep the information that you receive as private as possible, only going to the next step because the brother or sister refuses to listen and repent of a clear sin that's committed. And again, we'll see some qualifications in just a moment, but certainly if you need counsel or advice from from your minister, from your elder, from a mature Christian, as we stated earlier, to get advice as to how to handle a situation because of information you've either received from someone else or something you've observed. It's not wrong to seek advice or counsel, but keep it as general and hypothetical as possible, leaving out the names so as to protect the reputation of others. In so doing, you get what you're looking for, which is how to act. What should you do in that situation? You're not given any more information that is really necessary to anyone else. To follow the principles also, have you followed the principles that are stated in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where when we go to restore someone, we should do so with meekness, looking to ourselves, not go just letting it all hang out to whomever happens to be around. Listen to what it says in Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The third of the checklist, the third point is this. Are the likely consequences to be that this is the best way you can see to truly help this person. Did you go to those who have the spiritual gifts and graces and who can either advise or counsel you as to what you can do to help your neighbor? Or who can go to the brother or sister with a desire to restore him or, who, or, him or her who has fallen? Did you seek to protect the name and specific details of your neighbor for the for the name is not all that important at that point in time, but how to help that person is far more important than revealing his name and sharing all the specifics. We've looked at what gossip is. What gossip is not? Now, what gossip is not? Gossip is not to seek advice or counsel from your minister, elder, or a mature Christian who has the gifts and graces to help you and to help the person concerning whom you have a less than flattering report. It's not wrong, it is not gossip to seek earnest, sincere counsel. But as we said earlier, there is ordinarily no need to give specifics, name and specific details if what you want is really counsel and help. Give only that information that will get the advice you need while protecting the name of your neighbor. Be sure that when you seek out such advice from others that you have all your facts straight. That either you witnessed the sin or there are credible witnesses to the sin committed. You certainly don't want to be receiving reports that you can't confirm and verify and then go to others and to even ask advice about it before you're even sure whether what you've heard is right or wrong or true. Be sure that it is before you go to others to seek advice, be sure that it is a clear and obvious violation of God's commandments, which love cannot cover. Be sure that it is a sin that if continued and persisted in will affect not only your neighbor, but is likely to affect others as well. That is, if this is not dealt with, it may become like a cancer infecting others, drawing others into that sin. 
be sure that ordinarily it is a sin that one is obstinately persisting in or helplessly falling into rather than a sin that was committed and was repented of a long time ago and was dealt with and is no longer a problem. When talking about <clears throat> this matter of gossip, beware of, just a side note, beware of promising an absolute confidentiality before hearing information from others. You know how often it is said uh, before sharing certain information. Now, you can't share this with a single soul. Beware of promising that you won't do so before you hear what is to be said. Because that's not a proper promise. You can't promise to do something before you have the information in your hand. The person says, promise not to do so. I just murdered somebody. Obviously, that's an extreme example. But uh, uh, that's more like the Roman Catholic view of, of the confessional booth where nothing can supposedly, theoretically, go outside that confessional booth. Well, for that person's well-being, for that person's good, it may be necessary that there may be times in which the information that is told us, we cannot simply keep to ourselves, but we may have to do something with that information. And we cannot, therefore, bind ourselves to an absolute confidentiality before hearing information. You may qualify your listening with words like this. I want to help in any way that I possibly can and I will not share this information with anyone unless it is absolutely necessary to do so. Now, the person may choose not to share the information with you, which is their decision. That's fine. If they really want the help, though, if they're really concerned to get help, then they will. And one other side note. As a general rule, never give information to anyone that you're not willing to write out and put your name to. If you're not willing to say the information I'm giving you is so credible that I'm willing to sign my name to this information, then don't say it to somebody else. You see, if we follow that rule, we'll be less likely to let just anything out of our mouths. Something else go uh, gossip is not. It is not gossip to share information that is already a, a public scandal that is already publicly known, provided we do not do so with sinful motives, but with righteous motives, as already stated. For in such cases, there is no secret that is being revealed. It, it's already well known. It's well published. For example, if we should discuss uh, publicly or privately the public views of various individuals, ministers, or churches in a gathering, in a setting with one another. Whether we agree with them or whether we disagree with them, <clears throat> we have not fallen into gossip so long as we accurately represent their position and discuss them with a view to our own profit and edification, the profit and edification of others, and the glory of God. Thirdly, gossip, it is not gossip for elders and ministers on the session or in the presbytery to discuss matters among themselves privately since they are entrusted with the souls of their flock. There is much information that ministers and elders on the session or in a presbytery may know that no one else in the congregation may know about other people. And they may discuss that information amongst themselves, but they should always do so, not in order to hurt 
not in order to destroy, not to spread an evil report, but for that person or that family's well-being. They discussed it amongst themselves as to how best to use this information for the benefit of others, for the glory of God, because they love the Lord Jesus Christ and love the flock of Jesus Christ and would seek its profit. You see, there is a great responsibility that is committed to those in leadership with regard to information they receive. And they have to be ever so careful how they use that information. Because most ministers and elders have enough information about people because they have been entrusted with this information that if they carelessly let it out, they could literally destroy people's lives. It is a grave and serious responsibility. And one who is a gossip, one who is a talebearer, has no place in being in leadership. You cannot trust them. If you desire and aspire to be an elder, to be a minister, to be a deacon, to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, you must learn how to protect the names and the reputations of others. You must learn to keep things private. You must learn to do that which is best for families and for individuals with the information you know. Finally, the last thing, the gossip is not. It is not gossip to share a good report, obviously, about our neighbor with others, even behind their backs. It's not wrong to share a good report about our neighbor with others, for we are commanded to rejoice in the gifts and the graces of others. Not to envy the gifts and graces of others, but to rejoice in them. To be thankful that God has so blessed his church. That what I don't have as a gift and what I may be growing in as a grace, someone else has the gift I lack. That if I'm an arm, thank God that there are feet around, there are eyes around to keep me from walking into everything stubbing my toe. And so we rejoice in the gifts and the graces of others rather than putting others down. Let us learn, dear ones, from the exhortation of God himself in the very pages of Scripture the grievous nature of this sin of gossip. Consider how Ham, one of the sons of Noah, gossiped about his father. Upon seeing his father naked in the tent, he went out and gossiped with his brothers, made light of the fact that his father was naked, drunken in the tent. Whereas the other two brothers, Shem and Japheth, walked in backwards and covered their father. They were covering the sin, whereas Ham was uncovering the sin. And a curse fell upon Ham and through his son Canaan, and through that line, the curse of God fell upon them as a result of this sin that was committed. Consider the sin of Miriam and Aaron, who gossiped. Miriam, it would seem, brought gossip concerning Moses, who married an Ethiopian woman. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. And God was sorely displeased with the gossip that went on and Miriam was stricken with leprosy. It was only at Moses' intervention and intercession that the leprosy was removed. Or consider Absalom in 2 Samuel 15 who stole the heart of Israel by going to the gate, the hall of judgment, the palace. And when anybody went in to see the king, his father, after they had returned, he sweet-talked them. He told them, what's your problem? And they would tell him their problem. And he said, if I were king, I would do justly. And if I were king, I would adjudicate and I would hear you. 
The Bible says he stole the hearts of Israel through his gossip. Speaking against the king, if not explicitly, certainly implicitly. And we know what happened to Absalom. God's judgment fell upon him as well. But not only do we have these examples of how we are to avoid this sin, but God has given us explicit precepts to drive us from this evil path as well. Consider these precepts from God's word. Exodus 23.1 Where we read, Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Now this may specifically have to do with the court of law, but it's certainly the application can be made in everyday life as well. Don't put your hand either to impart to others a false report or put it out to receive it to yourself as a false report. Don't raise a false report. Furthermore, in Leviticus 19.16, we read again the word of God. For the Lord, through Moses, says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. God, by his own sovereignty, as our Lord, as our God says, don't go about as a talebearer among thy people, as a gossip, as a whisperer behind people's backs. Proverbs 20, verse 19. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Sounds very close to our text in Proverbs 11:13, but it continues. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Very often, those who are talebearers are flattering, building you up, but putting somebody else down as they share this information. And finally, one other passage, very interesting, in a catalog of sins, which we see to be abominable in many cases. Romans 1.29, speaking of those whom God has given over to a reprobate mind, says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, whispers, backbiters, that is, they bite behind someone's back. And then it goes on, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Here's a whole catalog of sins, but guess what? That sin is listed amongst them as one that God hates. One in which God, when he delivers someone over to a reprobate mind, he delivers them over to whisperings, speaking behind the backs of others. It is no harmless and insignificant sin that we speak of. It is one which deserves, according to this text, the righteous judgment and eternal condemnation of God, just as the other sins listed here. Well, why does God forbid us to gossip? Let me give you five reasons. I'm sure you could multiply reasons, but let me give you five reasons. Why does God forbid us? To gossip. Certainly the most obvious is his own authority. He simply says, do not gossip. But moving on from that which ought to be obvious to us all, self-evident truth, let me state these reasons. It violates the law of love as found in Matthew. Do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. 
if you don't want people to do that to you, then you must not, you cannot do that to others. The law of love is violated. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Second, it destroys others rather than benefiting others. And if it's not an act of love, then what is it? An act of hatred. An act of hatred. Destroys others rather than helping and benefiting others. Thirdly, it is a cancer that will spread throughout the whole church until it has infected everyone. Gossip, dear one, feeds upon itself and continues to grow the more that it is fed. It's infectious. Fourthly, following under the third point that was just mentioned, it destroys the peace and the unity within the body of Christ. Proverbs 16.28 says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisper separateth chief friends. A whisper separateth chief friends. In other words, gossip, dear ones, does not unite us. It does not build close relationships. It does not build a friendship. It destroys friendship. It destroys the peace and the unity that we have with one another. Fifthly, it denies and contradicts our profession of love for God. It is so contradictory when we say that we love God and show such hatred for our neighbor. We deny and contradict the love that we profess to have for the Lord himself. Look with me. I write down this text. 1 John 4, beginning with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Understand what John is saying here? God's invisible. Our profession of love for God can be heard with the ear, but without it being seen in our love for our brethren, it's meaningless. Our professional love for God. We must manifest and show forth. Even if God has not simply said to us, I love you, and do nothing about it to show us his love, so God commands us, if we love him, to show our love for him by our love for one another. And when we speak evil of one another, we're not showing our love, but in fact we are showing our hatred for one another. Dear ones, aren't you thankful today that the Lord did not gossip about you, merely speaking evil of you, even if everything he were to say about you were true. But he did something about it. Aren't you thankful today that God did not simply gossip about you? He set his love upon you, upon us, who had spoken evil of him time and time and time again. Had spoken evil of his good laws and of his holy doctrine and of his pure worship. Yet he sent his son to become sin for you and for me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, the Lord tells us plainly that we are sinners. He tells us what we are in ourselves. We are sinners. That's not gossip. He's saying it straight to our face. It's not the Father simply saying to the Son or the Son saying to the Holy Spirit, what a sinner he is, talking behind our back. We are sinners and he has revealed that to us clearly in his word and in our own hearts. Illumined our understanding and our mind to know that that's the case. But dear ones, even though he declares the truth about us, that in ourselves we are sinners, he also declares to us as plainly that in Christ we are justified. In Christ we are adopted into his family. In Christ we are being sanctified and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Dear ones, if the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost had gossiped about us, as it were, amongst themselves and had done nothing more, it would have meant our eternal destruction, our condemnation in hell. For we would have received no help from mere gossip, even if it were true. But God did not gossip. He reached out with his mighty arm with his strong right hand and lifted us up from the miry clay in which we were sinking and he made us the very children of God. Second main point in this I will deal with very, very briefly. The second main point is this. The one who is faithful proves himself to be trustworthy. Listen to Proverbs 11:13b. But he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. I would simply have you observe at this point that one who is faithful does not either divulge information about others that is not helpful, nor does he feast upon the gossip which others may try to feed him. He does not engorge himself with what he receives from others. If anything, he vomits it out. He can't tolerate it. He is faithful because he seeks to bury and cover all sins of others that he possibly can and only exposes those sins when he must do so in order to be obedient to the Lord and in order to restore those who have fallen into some sin. I would like to emphasize that one is faithful who can handle information without feeling like a blown-up balloon that is ready to pop over the information that he's received. He's ready to, to share it with somebody. The one who is faithful receives information, and you wouldn't even know that they had received that information. I ask you today, dear ones, can others trust you with information about themselves? as they seek your help in prayer with a weakness or with a personal sin? Or do they wander in their minds? Will this person really keep this confidential as long as, again, it doesn't need to be shared beyond someone else if it's not necessary, they will keep this and simply use this information to help me? Will they do what is best for me with the information I give them? Or will they destroy me with it? Dear ones, this sin is not limited to certain people. This sin is one that we've all committed, and I dare say, have committed many times in our lives, even in our Christian lives. We have violated the principles that have been laid out for us. We're all guilty. Not just you, me. Not just the members of the congregation, the elders. Not just the men, the women. Not just the adults, the children. We're all guilty of the sin. Is there hope for us who find gossip in our lives? We who have been tailbearers. Is there hope for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Where sin did abound, dear ones, grace did much more abound. We can never overcome 
the destructive sin of gossip apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I give to you, dear ones, these, in closing, these final steps in overcoming gossip in our lives. These steps. First, if we would overcome gossip in our lives, we must earnestly desire to overcome it. That seems like it's a given. But dear ones, if you don't start with an earnest desire, and if the earnest desire isn't there, if you don't start with earnest prayer, asking God to give to you that desire to overcome gossip in your life, you'll never overcome it. It will continue to be a sin that plagues your life. You must begin with an earnest desire to overcome that sin. Second, we must acknowledge to God that it is not a harmless sin, but a destructive sin against our neighbor. We must not treat it as if it were insignificant. No big deal. But we must see the seriousness of this sin. We would overcome it. Thirdly, we must seek his daily forgiveness for this sin and those we have sinned against in sharing this information. But not necessarily, again, as I said earlier, the person we spoke against, whom it is not necessary that he know that we spoke against them until it comes to his very ear. No need to destroy him with information. At that point, he doesn't need to know as to what we have said about him. If it comes to his ears, then we deal with it at that point. He shared some information. I can give you all kinds of examples. But uh, uh, someone shares information that they just really dislike you. They share it with somebody else. You don't need to know if that person dislikes you or said that they disliked you until it actually comes to your ears. There's no need for you to hear that, for me to hear that, what others have said about me. If it comes to my ears, then at that point, it must be dealt with. I need to go. If I get that information, somebody doesn't like me, or if they believe that, uh, that for some reason um, uh, I've offended them, but they've not come to me, my responsibility is clear. I go to them. I seek to resolve. I seek to be reconciled. That's my responsibility, even if they do not come to me. My responsibility is to go to them. Because what is important here is not who is right or wrong. What is important, ultimately, is that there be reconciliation between us. Fourthly, we must grow, dear ones, in our hatred for this sin and in our love for God and our neighbor. The more we grow in our love for God, the more we grow in our love for our neighbor and loving them as we love ourselves, the less likely we will be to hate them and to speak against them. And so we must grow in our love and yet grow in our hatred for that sin. Fifthly, we must receive the grace of God which was purchased for us by Christ to overcome the sin. As I've said many, many times, and I will continue to emphasize this, dear ones, Every grace that we need to be faithful in this Christian life has already been purchased for us in the covenant of grace. Christ has accomplished it. Christ has promised it to us. It is a matter of simply reaching out in faith and receiving the grace which Christ has promised. Believing, trusting, and if you fall, if you fall a hundred times, you get back up. You start the process all over again. The grace is available. An overabundant amount of grace. Grace, as I said, that is greater than that particular sin or any other sin you have committed. And so do not lose hope. Do not despair. Continue to come and to flee to Christ to overcome this sin. Next, we must begin our day by setting a guard over our lips and end the day by reflecting upon any occasion of falling into that sin. So in other words, we do a daily inventory. If we're really serious about overcoming, now I'm not only, these are steps you can take with any besetting sin, but I'm just applying it in this particular way to the sin of gossip. But these are the steps we should take with any besetting sin that's in our life. Take it. Inventory every day as to how you have done. Confessing, repenting, seeking God's forgiveness and seeking more grace for the next day. That God would help you to be faithful. And as I said, dear ones, 
in conclusion, let us always, always remember that God did not gossip about us. Although if anyone deserved to be gossiped about, it was us. To the contrary, he saved us. And he rescued us from our sin. And therefore, dear ones, the love of Jesus Christ must constrain us to love one another as Christ has loved us. Amen. Let us stand in prayer. Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, O Lord, from the temptation and especially the sin of gossip and tell-bearing. Cause us, O Lord, to set a watch over our mouth, to be wise in what we share with one another, to have a, a specific, profitable purpose and reason, to look, O Lord, to the consequences and to have the right motive. O Lord our God, we pray that Thou would make us a congregation in the church, O Father, Make us a people, O Lord, who bring glory to Thee because of our love for one another, our desire to protect the good name and reputation of one another, to be trustworthy so that when information comes our way, people know there's a person who can be trusted. Let us, Father, not delight in receiving information. Father, so often it seems as though we almost set on the edges of our seat, waiting to receive certain information. But, Father, this is indeed sinful. Help us, Father, to almost reluctantly receive information. But also, Father, help us to do so when we do receive it for the profit and the benefit of thy people. O God, we do look to Jesus Christ now, for he, O Lord, is the only one who can give to us the grace to overcome this sin in our lives. And we do look to Thee, O Lord Jesus Christ. We look, O Father, to the death of Christ. For our old man and this sin of gossip died with Christ. And therefore we are not under the mastery and dominion of this sin. We have been delivered through Christ our Savior. And Father, we look to the resurrection of Christ, for we have been raised, O Lord, by the power of Christ to a new man. Let us therefore put off this sin and put on righteousness. And let us look forward, O Lord, even to the day of Christ's coming, when this sin will be forever removed from us. Give to us patience. Give to us, Lord God, perseverance, that we give, not give up, that we not, Father, become discouraged because we have fallen so many times. But teach us, O oh Lord, through our failures to be wise. Teach us, O oh Lord, cause us to learn that we may be a glory to Thee and a blessing to one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, 
abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.